Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. Joining me this week is Secretary of State Phil McGrain to talk about the 2024 session and some national news that he is very lightly involved with. Secretary McGrain, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Logan, for having me. Um, so that national news I reference is, of course, the presidential election that's coming up. Um, there have been some efforts in other states, not here in Idaho that I'm aware of, um, to possibly disqualify former President Donald Trump from uh, placing his name on the ballot in the upcoming election. Your name, as well as the name of several other secretaries of states, are on an amicus brief to the Supreme Court of the United States uh, weighing in on this issue. Can you talk to me about the issue and what your position is? Yeah, so the specific question is regarding Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and I actually think it's safe to say that all 50 states, Secretary of States, have received some calls in some form or another, whether that's to remove President Trump or also we get calls to remove President Biden from the ballot. And so this has become a hot topic. Most acutely, though, it's really looking at what the Colorado Supreme Court did. Uh, they had a decision recently that said that they were going to remove uh, President Trump from the ballot in Colorado. And then shortly thereafter, the Secretary of State of Maine, Shenna Bellows, also made the decision after a hearing to remove President Trump from the Maine ballot. That is the cases that are moving forward to the Supreme Court. And as you noted, a group of us as Secretary of State kind of weighed in on that, specifically to say, we need the Supreme Court to weigh in on this. This isn't something that a 50 state solution makes sense. Um, we can't have each of the Secretaries of State making differing decisions. Um, number one, because president is the only question on the ballot that covers all 50 states. Everything else is contained neatly in one of the states. This is one of those questions that transcends that. Um, additionally, we're already in a very polarized country and state right now, and having Maine do one thing and say Texas do another, that's not healthy for the country and certainly not healthy for the democratic process. And so in this brief to the court, are you guys just providing information? Is there a specific outcome you're arguing for? Uh, specifically, uh, our brief is fairly narrow in saying this shouldn't be a 50 state solution. As one of the secretaries of state pointed out to me is like, uh, not only is it we don't want make secretaries making these decisions, even worse would be if different counties around the country started making independent decisions on who they're going to put on the ballot or not, because um, that's some of the arguments that have been made. And so what we're asking for is clarity from the court. How should this be decided? And really specifically saying, please don't put it in the hands of each of the secretaries, because that's just a solution asking for greater problems down the road. I seem to recall your um, your predecessor in this office when uh, Lauren Stenney was Secretary of the State. He was also often very reticent to step in and make assertions that so-and-so was not qualified for the ballot. I, I don't remember all the details around Kanye West running for president that one time, but that was one of the, the times where there were questions about someone was actually eligible. And it seems like that's kind of been a trend that the Secretary of State's office is not often the one making those calls. Well, it is interesting. At a state level, we certainly do verify qualifications. So whether that's you know residency, a good example is like legislators must live in their district for a year in order to run, making sure people are registered to vote. We are actually used to being in this role what makes this question unique is one, section three of the 14th amendment hasn't really been asserted in this fashion. There are legal questions re, uh, surrounding whether does it apply to the presidency or not. Um, if you look at the Colorado decisions, that's a really good example. The district court decided it doesn't apply to the presidency. The Colorado Supreme Court decided, yes, it does. Um, and it was a split decision. And so I think there's a lot of legal questions headed into this that make it a little bit unique. But what's different is if I make a decision for an Idaho legislator, for example, that's determinative. If I make a decision for the presidency, Idaho is just one of 50 states. And not all states have the same process for determining how you get on a ballot. 
Uh, this seems important enough for our country that we really do need a national decision. And one of my fears is just uh, democracy is all about giving the public a voice. And if we start removing choices in terms of those voices, it just becomes more polarizing, more political. And that's not what this process is about. This is really trying to unite the country when we go to elections, even you know, winner or loser, trying to make sure everyone had a voice in the process. Okay, well, this issue is going before the US Supreme Court. Um, in early February, so we'll see. Yeah, February eighth. I'm going to be in D.C., so I'm hoping to be present for oral arguments. I mean, I know your listeners are nerdy like me in many ways, and so I'm really hoping that I can be present. Partly because this seems really significant as we head into the 2024 year, but also it's a, a very unique legal question that we just haven't faced before. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, also looking ahead to the next election, your office um, is advocating for a voter guide for Idaho voters. Uh, that's something we talked about on the show before. I think probably about exactly a year ago we yep. were talking about this issue. What are the prospects of a voter guide looking like uh, in the 2024 legislative session? You know, I'm hopeful. We've asked the legislature again to fund a voter guide. You know, between last year and this year, we've made some really big efforts in terms of are there ways we can cut the cost of doing that? And I'm really happy to say that by changing the format in uh, in the paper size and also changing how we do the postage, we've actually been able to figure out how we can get the cost of the voter guide to basically be cost neutral this next year. We already produce a voter pamphlet for constitutional amendments and uh, initiatives. This would be additional pages to add candidate information. So legislative candidates, county candidates, we would also do state candidates and federal candidates. Um, I think one of the big things is this is one of the most common requests we get in the Secretary of State's office. It's one of the most common requests that counties get at their offices and largely because most of the surrounding states, or as I like to refer to our feeder states, so the Californians, Oregon, Washington, they currently have voter guides. And so people are coming and saying, hey, I wanna know what I'm voting on. I wanna know who I have the chance to vote for. And we're eager to provide that information um, one of the things we've seen in the absence of a state guide is that we see political operatives finding opportunities to provide guides that are incomplete or very biased. And there really is a need for just more information for voters. And it's been one of my priorities is to get more voter information out there. Sure, and even from the news media side, there's less local newspapers running those sort of candidate profiles and questionnaires and those type of things. Yeah, there's let the newspapers are having a harder time producing it, but also my experience as a candidate was many of the candidates aren't participating. So you might have a voter guide, but if only one candidate responds, voters aren't as inclined to read it unless they get to see all their choices. And I think it's important, whoever's serving us, that everyone gets a chance to see who are the people I'm voting on. If they want additional information, where can they go find that information? Um, and really just what decisions they'll be making. I know next November that people will have their minds likely made up about who they're going to vote for president. But when it comes to uh, say some of the federal offices, but especially the legislators or the county officials, they may not even know who these people are. So giving them some basic information about the candidates uh, hopefully will make Idahoans better informed when they head to the polls. What's the path forward for this legislation look like? We're hoping to introduce it this week. You know, I was pleasantly surprised to see some support through the Boise State Public Policy Survey. One of the questions they asked was about the voter guide and it had the highest support of any question they had. 80% of Idahoans across all political lines want to see a voter guide. So hopefully legislators are taking note of that as well. And last year we made it through the Senate and it headed to the House. I'm more optimistic this year, especially because we got the cost down. So. Hopefully this November, voters will see a voter guide in the mail. Okay. Well, one final topic I wanna to ask you about is um, lawmakers are 
of course, facing a lot of contentious issues this year. Some of them have been very public in debates recently about the fact that they're receiving a lot of pressure on some of these bills, like the fentanyl bill and other other issues. Um, you and Attorney General Raul Labrador uh, recently issued a letter to lobbyists at the State House, kind of clarifying what the bounds on their roles are. Can you tell me about? Uh, about that information and this this reporting on this, I want to credit Ian Max Stevenson at the Statesman as well as Margaret Carmel at Boise Dev. But can you talk to me about the issues brought before your office and that response you've you've taken up? Yeah, I think just a first great place to start is probably most of your listeners don't necessarily know that as Secretary of State, I regulate lobbyists. So anybody trying to influence the legislative process or trying to influence uh, state executive officials, uh, lobbyists buffs register with our office, but also on a regular basis report any the money that they spend. So if they take someone to lunch, if they host an event, um, any of those things where people are being paid to influence public policymakers uh, come through our office. This session, as you noted, has had some big issues. Um, I also, as secretary, have kind of taken note that there's been a, the guidance to, for lobbyists hasn't always been as clear. So early in this session, we provided new guidance to lobbyists on what they must report, what their responsibilities are, what we're going to be watching for as the regulator of that space. Um, I met with a large group of them a couple weeks ago. Um, with the intensity of this session, though, there have been some issues, as you noted, some uh, even on the floor, some people, some legislators concerned about the pressures they're facing. And so uh, the Attorney General Labrador and I had some conversations uh, following a number of inquiries. So we had some inquiries from lobbyists, but we also had some inquiries from legislators that I would say were cryptic in nature, but really wondering where the boundaries are related to bribes or threats against public officials. Um, it's an uncomfortable topic for everybody. So we sent out guidance to every registered lobbyist. You know, I really believe overwhelmingly our lobby corps are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to represent their clients well as well. Um, I know Attorney General Labrador mentioned that when he was a member of the legislature, this was an area of concern for him too, was making sure everybody's operating above board. So we thought rather than wait till a situation arises where we're going to have to intervene and do something, we'd rather send out a cautionary note just saying, hey, here's where the fences are. Please stay within these bounds. And I, I really do believe from the follow-up that we've heard that lobbyists took note of that. You know, if anything, there's been a lot more intrigue than is actual substance to this. Um, but really saying like, oh, okay, we know where the boundaries are. And, you know, uh, our lobby corps, the legislature relies on them. You know, they're often referred to as the third branch because there's so many issues facing the legislature. Um, I'm hopeful heading into the next part of the session is it picks up an intensity that will not have any issues. And I feel fortunate that the Attorney General and I were able to partner on this. So it's not like there was one particular instance or communication that stepped over the line? No, I think that's really important to highlight is we did not have any official complaints. We're not investigating anybody or anything at this point in time. It was just based on the questions that we were receiving and just the unusual nature of those questions. We felt it would be better to be proactive than end up being in a situation where we had to react. Okay. Well, Secretary of State Phil McGrain, thanks so much for sitting down with us this week. Thank you for your time. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.